0: Go and listening to a sermon podcast from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. May God bless you as you listen. Thank you, team. Thank you. Uh, part of the team that is often missing from your site is our sound technicians, our projectionists, our live streamers who are up in the booth Sunday after Sunday. And there is a number of them. And uh, so I would like you just give them a hand because they're sort of the behind the scenes. People bringing bringing this service to us, but also to you online. So thank you guys. Well, today we continue our series. Last week we started a series uh, to kind of start our fall season off, and the series is called Greater Than. Uh, This series is kind of designed by me to help you find your confidence, to believe that nothing is impossible with God, to to actually give you clarity to see what God is calling you to, and then to help inspire courage in you to take your next step. And so I hope over these next few weeks we'll be able to accomplish that goal. Last week we looked at John the baptizer who is preceding the ministry of Jesus, and he had a very unique ministry himself, a very unique role in the history of Israel, the history of the world, and being sent by God as a witness uh, he came to testify concerning Jesus, the Word of God, so that through Jesus the whole world might believe and be saved. So, going back to John chapter 1 for a moment, verse 15 to 18, it tells us about John's identity, but it also gives us a hint into Jesus' identity. Of course, it's all hindsight for us, right? John chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. It says John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he is the one who comes after me and he has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place, uh, 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 grace after grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only, the one and only son who is himself God and is at closest relationship with the Father, he has made him known. So John knew who he was. He knew who Jesus was. And he knew what Jesus came to do. And he came to the Father, came from the Father, to make the Father known to humanity so that he could bring salvation to all mankind. And so John's job was to make Jesus known. And when he sees Jesus on the other side of the river baptizing, just like they were doing, from where he was, he announces that the, uh, Israel's Messiah had arrived. And with Jesus' arrival, John knew that his time had now come to an end. It was now time for Jesus to outshine and outpace him. This were, there was no competitive bone in his body, there was only excitement and anticipation for what Jesus came to do and would do next. And then John gives that famous statement, which I hope we have all sort of clung on to this last week and have repeated many times, where John says, He, that is Jesus, must become greater, and I must become less. Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. Let's say that together, shall we? Jesus must become greater, and I must become less. John understood his identity. He understood his role in the world. He, especially in relation to his identity under Jesus, the Lamb of God, as we learned last week. A few years ago, between Christmas and New Year's, Bonnie and I were probably paying more attention to the celebration of the season than we were our bank accounts, and we got hacked. The thief managed to open up a third bank account at our own bank, and he was slowly moving money in and out of our bank, out of that one account, into another account. Then our visa was charged a few times for things we didn't buy. When we finally caught it, it, we went to the bank to figure things out. By that time, the thief got away with thousands of dollars. Now, once we changed all our security settings at the bank, we, we asked how this happened, and The bank had made the statement that, well, it appears that someone claiming to be you came into the bank and impersonated you and made the changes. We had to get registered with Equifax and TransUnion and and discovered that the thief had tried to open up other bank accounts and other banks around the city, and also trying to open up other credit cards in my name. So they clamped down on all that for us, and it took about a year to clear up. Now, the bank and Visa did reimburse us for all that we lost, thankfully, but I'll tell you, when it happens to you, you feel scared, small, and powerless. Canada's largest credit bureaus, Equifax and TransUnion, receive over 1,800 identity theft complaints from Canadians every month. That's a lot. Every month. Identity theft is big business in our world, in our country, even in our city, and the thieves are very clever. There's, though, another identity thief out there who steals much more than your money. This thief actually has the ability to convince you that you're someone other than who you really are. And more more than likely, he's already done it to you, sometimes, to all of us. I'll expose him in a bit. After being baptized by John, the Gospels chronicle the ministry of Jesus to advance the kingdom of God and to make the Father known. But at every turn that Jesus had in ministry, there was a group of people, religiously influential people in Israel, who constantly challenged Jesus' identity and his miracles. Those people are identified as Pharisees. A unique ruling class of devout Jews who, lab- who were labeled, they like this label, Israel's teacher. Israel's teachers. Let's go to John chapter 8, if we would. John chapter 8 for our first passage, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 13, and then 17 to 19. Here we have one of these encounters where there's some labeling going on. When John spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the... uh, He said, when Jesus spoke uh, again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. In your own law, it is written, Jesus said, that, two, that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your Father? You do not, you do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law constantly challenged Jesus' authority and his identity. Every time he taught the crowds, every time he healed someone or performed a miracle. They challenged his authority to do these things because, see, it was a territorial thing for them. Jesus came preaching about the kingdom of God and demonstrating that he had authority over Israel, over everything in life, in fact, by exercising the power of the kingdom Through signs and wonders. Well, of course, the Pharisees didn't like that. They thought, being Israel's teachers, that they were the ones in authority until Messiah came. And this guy, Jesus, well, he can't be Messiah. He just can't be. Doesn't look like he should be. And so they persecuted him. And part of that persecution came in the form of labeling him. They said things like, he's a blasphemer, a friend of sinners, a drunkard, a false teacher, A devil. Here's the thing. One's identity validates and empowers what they are able to say and do. Let me repeat that for you. One's identity validates and empowers what they are able to say and do. And by placing these labels on Jesus, what the Pharisees were trying to do was invalidate and disempower Jesus in the eyes of all the people. A couple of chapters later in John chapter 10, we have another confrontation between the Pharisees and Jesus. And this time, Jesus is the one laying out some labels. John chapter 10, turn with me there. Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's bump down to verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep as the Father knows me. My sheep know me as I know the Father. So I give my life for my sheep. He's telling them that before him, some came claiming to be the gate. That is really kind of a way of claiming to be the way into the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he was claiming to be Messiah. The Pharisees would have gotten that label. They they would have understood what he was meaning by the gate. And so he also addresses the Pharisees specifically because they claim to speak for the Father. But as Jesus says, they, like the alleged other Messiahs that came before him, are really only just thieves who come to steal, kill, and destroy. In comparison, he claims to be the good shepherd. Now that's actually a claim of the true Messiahship from the famous, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. Again, the Pharisees would have caught that reference and that label. They're smart guys. And so they retaliate, and they spew more labels on Jesus. Verse 20, this Jesus is demon-possessed, raving mad. Have you ever been labeled? Of course you have. Well, Jesus understood what it's like to be labeled too. But see, here's the thing that you need to learn from Jesus, and we'll learn more about it as we go through today. Jesus knew who he was. He knew his true identity. And that knowledge enabled him to not just tolerate and put up with the labels, and to put up or tolerate those who labeled him. It actually enabled him to stand confident in who he was in the eyes of the Father. John chapter 10, verse 14, I know my sheep as the Father knows me. My sheep know me as I know the Father. A couple of things we need to learn today. Number one is this. People in your life network will label you. You remember what my life network is, right? It's that little thing with Christ in you in the middle and all the different relationships and activities that make up your life. Family, friends, work, church, world, hobbies and interests. People in your life network will label you. People who think they know you. And they will assign labels to you. Some labels are intended to build you up. But others are clearly meant to tear you down. Negative labels sound like things like nerd, loser, pig, lazy, stupid, religious freak, ugly, worthless, dumb, dumb blonde, or other forms of maybe racial or even sexual slurs. But some labels are intended to be positive. Words like cool, pretty, smart, open-minded, athletic, sexy, determined, ambitious, creative. And all of us have been the object of both negative and positive labels throughout our life. Here's our life network. Look at it. Because what, lab- what makes labels so much more potent depends on who they come from. When they come from your family or your friends, your coworker, your boss, someone at school, someone at church, or some random strangers in the world. What are the labels you've heard from other people in your lifetime? Positive or negative? Perhaps perhaps it's developed in the form of a nickname. Maybe you like it. Maybe you hate it. They maybe thought it was fun, but you don't like it at all. Have any of those labels stuck? What I mean is, have you believed any of them? It's unavoidable, really. People in your life network will assign labels to you, good or bad, both. The question is, how will you deal with them? Well, before we get into that, there's another source of labeling. Number two, we apply labels to ourselves. We often apply labels to ourselves, and we believe them. And the more we label ourselves, the more we believe them. If I tell you you're a loser, how long will it take before you will begin calling yourself a loser? After something fails, you look in the mirror and say, they're right, you're a loser. How long will it take calling yourself that before you begin to make that part of your personal identity? What are the labels you've been given lately, positively or negatively? Have any of them stuck over time? Again, what I mean is, have you begun to believe them as who you really are? But there's another source of labeling in your life. And this source uses labels to destroy you. Number three, the devil subversively whispers labels in your ear. There's a devil who likes to subversively whisper labels in your ear. Like Jesus described the Pharisees, this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your true identity. This thief actually has the ability to convince you that you are someone other than you really are. And more than likely, as I already said, he's already done it to you. All of you. If you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, it gives you an idea of what the devil can do and what you need to do. First Peter 5 verses 8 to 9, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. The devil is relentless and he has attacked all of us. We all have that in common. And for sure there have been labels that others have given you since you've grown up. And, but if you give it time, and it doesn't even have to be a lot of time, the devil is the one who will prowl around the fringes of your life, usually on a bad day, and usually when you're all alone. And he will whisper those labels in your ear again and again and again. Reinforcing what you've already begun to believe about yourself. You're a loser. Worthless. Ugly. Unacceptable. Stupid. A sinner. Shameful. Unlovable. And he always follows up with just the last little dig. How can God accept you like that? The devil... And even the people in your life network, although they're intentionally or not intentionally, will use labels to try to invalidate you and disempower you and try to wreck your relationship with God. How long can you go on hearing labels before you really begin to believe them and eventually live them out and adopt them as your true identity? So how do you defend against those labels? How do you defend against the devil who's unseen? Like always, we need to look at Jesus and his word as our guide, right? Earlier, we saw how Jesus defended himself against the labels of the Pharisees. He stayed confident in his true identity as the Son of God, and he gained his worth by how the Father saw him, how the Father saw him, not by the labels that were being imposed on him by others. If you turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Let me say it again. Jesus gained his identity from how he was related to the Father. Not by the labels of the world. That friends is your secret too to dealing with the labels in your life. That is the secret to your true identity. So let's look at how that true let's look at that true identity by looking at how you are related to the Father. Okay? So turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 6 to 11. Are there what is mankind that you are mindful of him a son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the angels you crowned him with glory and honor and you put everything under his feet in putting everything under them god has left nothing that is not subject to them yet at present we do not see everything subject to them but we do see jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. You really should highlight that a thousand times till it breaks the skin of your page. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. The writer of Hebrews starts by uttering an eternal question. I mean, this the first part of this all comes from the Psalms. What are we to God? What are we to God? That's the eternal question. And who of us haven't asked that at times? What am I to God? And then he takes us all the way back to the creation, stating that God made us a little lower than the angels, and he crowned us with glory and honor and put everything under our feet. This was the original design, our original design, by God, our creator. Our identity was found in being created in the image of God and we were given dominion over all the earth. Just turn to Genesis chapter 1. All the way back to Genesis 1. Verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creature that creeps on the earth. So both men and women are created in the image of God. We are included in that image. And there is something about that image that makes humankind like God in a way that the rest of creation isn't, like plants and animals. So rather than a list of qualities like sentience and self-awareness or free will, which we often think are part of the image of God, they are not, more than just soul and spirit, all of which could be argued that some animals even have some of those qualities but the image of god is not an ability it's not a quality the image of god is a status we are god's imagers we are created in the image of god we are god's imagers we were originally created to be his representatives on earth so to be human is to image god That is why Genesis 1, 26 and 28 include what theologians call the dominion mandate. Let me me read verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over it. So the original identity, that original identity, informs us that God intends us to be Him on the planet. Going back to Hebrews now, we read verse 8. In putting everything under them... Mankind, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. Why? What happened? Back to Genesis 3. We learn very quickly that our dominion didn't last very long, did it? Conditions change drastically in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent arrives in the garden. Look at verse 1 to 7. The serpent said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You can hear his hiss, can't you? You will not certainly die. The serpent said, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like what? God. New identity. Knowing good and evil. The serpent subversively whispers in the ear of Eve that she could become like God. She was already like God. She was already a dominion person. That was her image, in the image of God. But if she rejected God's authority over her and she bit into that prospect of a new identity, it would change life forever for her. And she took Adam with her. Satan did this by twisting the identity that God had given Adam and Eve in the beginning to convince them that they were entitled to more. And after the proverbial fall from grace... God had to prevent Adam and Eve from living in perpetual rebellion to him and he cuts them off from their access to the tree of life and therefore from eternal life with him. Because they corrupted their original identity as God's imagers, God had to banish them from their garden kingdom. So yeah, at present we do not see everything subject to them, to us. Because through Adam, we gave up our original identity and purpose. And since Adam, we are what the Bible calls in Adam now. We are in his image, and we have been made in that way, and as a result, we are cut off from God by nature. So, is there no recourse for us then? Like, are we lost? Is it hopeless? Well, you're here today because obviously there was a way. Hebrews 2, let's go back to that, shall we? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. But we do see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for a little while. That's what? Incarnation. That's what Christmas is all about, when God became a human being. But he is now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Friend, listen, if you are a Christian, then you're familiar with the suffering of Christ on the cross. You had to to accept that. You had to understand that before you could cross the line. And you've not only accepted it as a historical fact, but also as a necessary means for which to pay the penalty of your sin and the identity that separated you from the Father. Right? But understand that Jesus didn't just suffer death to save you from death. I like how Hebrews 2, verse 11 puts it. Both the one who makes people holy, that is Jesus, and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So listen very carefully. Jesus didn't die just to guarantee you a place in heaven one day when you die. He died to change your identity by making you holy so that you could be included In the family of God. Isn't that awesome? Amen? Try that label on for size. Why don't we try that label on, on for size? I am part of God's holy family. Say that with me. I am part of God's holy family. Because Jesus, because of him, you are now a child of God. Let's try that on for size. I am a child of God. That's your new identity, folks. And I love this next one. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. We need to declare that label out loud too. Repeat after me. Jesus Jesus is not ashamed ashamed to call us us his 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 brothers and sisters. Isn't that a cool thought? Hebrews 2.14, since the children have flesh and blood, Jesus too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is what? The devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. So that new identity, that new redeemed identity that you have, you are no longer in Adam, you are now in Christ, and that restores to you what was originally lost by Adam. And that new redeemed identity puts the devil where he belongs, under your feet. Amen? Amen. He is a defeated foe. We don't need to fear him anymore. We don't need to live by his lies anymore. So when he whispers in your ear a label from your past like you're worthless, you can just say to him, shut up, liar. I've been made worthy by the cross of Christ. When he whispers the label in your ear, you're unlovable. You can just say to him, shut up, liar. I'm a child of the living God. He loves me. And when he whispers the label in your ear, you're ugly, you can just say, shut up, liar. I am part of the beautiful bride of Christ. And when he whispers that label in your ear, you're unacceptable, you can just say, shut up, liar. I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies and nothing can change my position." And when he whispers in your ear, you're powerless, you can just say, Shut up, liar. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God Almighty when the devil whispers in your ear encouraging you to identify as something that other than other than what god has created you to be even with regard to your gender or your sexuality then you say shut up devil you have been made you were a liar from the beginning and you only seek to kill and destroy in my life and so i will not live by your design i will live only by god's design never yours Listen, if Satan can get you to defy, to deny, or forget who God created you to be, then he knows he can get you to stop living out your destiny. See, if he can get you to stop listening to God's voice, and instead listen to his voice, then he can effectively invalidate your testimony, and disempower your ability to share the gospel of Jesus with others. (laughs) And that's all he wants. That's all he longs to do. Why? Because if he can do that, if he can do that, then he can show and he can slow the spread of the gospel of the kingdom of God, and that means he can slow the dominion of God on this planet. And that slowing down of the kingdom of God means that his destruction is delayed, and that's all he wants. He knows he's vanquished. He knows he's a defeated foe in Christ. But he just wants to stay a little longer. And so he will snuggle up to you on a bad day when you're all by yourself, when he hears you whispering your own labels back to yourself that others have given you, and he will try to stop you from living in Christ. Children of God, this is what you need to learn immediately. Number four, Jesus is greater than your labels. Jesus is greater than your labels. He's greater than the labels that others lay on you. He's greater than the labels that we lay on ourselves. And he's especially greater than the labels the devil whispers in your ear. You are not powerless against the labels. Stop believing you are. You are a child of the living God. Jesus is your brother, and that gives you access to his power, right? And we need to tell ourselves that truth about ourselves as often as we possibly can. We need to stop letting life and others speak louder than the truth of God's word. And we need to learn how to live by God's truth and not by the lies and the labels of anyone other than God because he knows us and his labels are pure and holy. So brothers and sisters in Christ, get into God's word. Learn your identity and your position in Christ and speak it out loud often. Learn the truth about you and it will set you free from the identity thief. And the labels others try to invalidate and dispower you with, they will become as nothing. Because you are in Christ, a child of the living God. Let me leave you with Hebrews 3, verse 1. And encourage you to pick up a book. It's an older book already. It's called Freedom in Christ, The Bondage Breaker by Neil Anderson. And you will learn your identity even better. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters. I love that label. Holy and brothers and sisters. Who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And when you do, attune your ears to his whisper only. He loves you. Let's pray. Hey, brother. Jesus. How often we have limited what you've done on the cross to our ticket to heaven. Oh, it is so much more than that. It is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages, but is now revealed in Christ. And that is that we are now in Christ, and he is our hope for glory. Lord, I pray for, my, I pray for our brothers and sisters here today, especially to those who have been really discouraged really defeated lately because of the labels that they've been believing about themselves. Oh God, free them from their bondage and help them to live in their identity as a child of the living God. Help them to remember that you are their brother, that you came to be like one of us in order to know us and to know what it was like to be labeled, to know what it was like to be persecuted, to know what it was like to be hated, to know what it was like to have a world turn against you at times. But Lord Jesus, you are our freedom. You are our hope. And we bank on that because we know it's true from your word. And we've seen it in others so, so much. And we bless you and we thank you. And we claim our new identity today as children of God. I am a child of God. Let's say it together, brothers and sisters. I am a child of God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.